and nobody misses like this, man. It's crazy. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Backlash Radio. I'm Anthony Pino with Hook Optics. Today we are here at Duffy Boatworks with Mr. John Duffy of Duffy Boatworks. Thanks for having, Thanks having, for having me, me, buddy. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, this is a heck of a facility. If, if anybody ever has a chance to come, come tour it, it's pretty amazing. We'll start from the beginning. Just a quick bio. We already did one in the, in the last podcast, but just a quick quick bio okay view in the bill fisher program and then how the how duffy boatworks kind of became yeah okay um obviously you know grew up fishing out of ocean city maryland and various other places uh pretty much from the time i was 12 years on uh i was very fortunate that i got to ride along with all kinds of different captains and on different types of boats and from flounder fishing on headboats on the baby with captain kim hudson to you know fishing on the hammer with mitch pearson and fishing on the natural with scott walker and and then when hammer was run, mark Ham, hill hammer was running the liquidator i fished with them a little bit and got really lucky that i got to ride along with a lot of different great captains and uh those guys when we were growing up they were kind of like our babysitters if you will because my parents were working and so they went back home and they were at work and and we were kind of left to our own devices down on the docks. And so we grew up fishing on any boat that we would, anyone that would take us out for the day or, or people would hop on our boat and run the bill fisher for the day. And it was awesome. You know, it was an incredible experience growing up and getting to learn from so many different people and, and different types of fishing. And, uh, you know, I mean, really by the time I was like 14, I was completely comfortable with driving any of the, boats that were in the marina i mean i'd take people's boat to the travel lift forum uh do overnighters on you know the princess the big head boat in town and bob gower would run it for the tuna trips and he would bring me along because i was a cheap autopilot <laughs> so he'd just throw me on the wheel and i remember like you know 8 30 at night bob would be like all right you got it see you in the morning and so we would drift in the canyon and chunk tunas and in the morning i'd you know if we had to move overnight i'd just fire her up and steam us back up onto the bank and we drift down again. And so pretty awesome to be able to grow up that way. And you learn a lot and you learn a lot about boats really quickly when you live on one and when you are taking care of it. And, uh, you know, my older brother, Jeremy and I, that's, uh, we like all we live and breathe is boats and taking care of them. And, uh, from a really young age, I love drawing boats. And so, so for you at the beginning, when you were a child, a kid, were, was it more about the boats or the fishing or like, I mean, both, I wish I had my, I wish I'd have thought about it. Cause I have a huge like binder full of drawings from yeah. when I was a little kid. <laughs> uh, and we used to take the bill fisher to Oregon inlet every spring and we would tie up down there when the Allison wasn't in Oregon inlet, we would tie up in her slip mm -hmm. and we would, I would draw every boat in the Marina. And I would usually give them to the guys on the boat. I'd be like, here, I drew this and give it to them. And I'm sure they threw it away, but maybe not, you know, a guy can dream that maybe they, some of them held on to them. But, uh, yeah, I loved, you know, the look of the Carolina boats and, and I, I would try to draw Marlins, you know, jumping over the boat, jumping behind the boat, jumping in front of the boat. And, uh, I, I loved artwork. So my grandmother was actually an artist that she taught art and, and uh, you know, I like to take some of that came through me and my grandfather was in the Navy and he 
built a model of his destroyer <laughs> in World War II. Yeah. And, you know, he was in the construction industry. So I like to think that maybe I got a little bit of both of that. For sure. Do you, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of art and science and engineering that goes into all these boats, but do you feel like, I mean, there, do you think that boat building isn't an, an art? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I love the creativity that goes into this, you know, I mean, to think about the fact that we take a pile of plywood and build a sport fishing boat out of it. But first you have to draw it mm -hmm. and first you have to, you know, get the lines right and the look of it right. And you know, the lines and the look that's part of the ride and the fishability of it as well. You know, the design work that goes into it, there's thousands and thousands of hours. And we're very fortunate here that, you know, I have a great team of guys, craftsmen, engineers, you know, everyone's got to have their own artistic take on it. And I like the fact that we let everybody have input into that. You know, the guys that are even doing the plumbing and mechanical, you know, you might say, well, what does that have to do with creativity and art? But there's a lot of stuff you got to work problems out on and you got to get around a lot of different items in the engine room and it has to look good. It has to be clean and functional. And there's an art to that. You know, there's an art to every skilled craft. Uh, and it's just letting the guys kind of put that into their work and then also making sure that when we're designing things, you know, there's gotta be a little bit of function over form, yeah. but you also want it to look right. You know, yeah, it has sure. to be beautiful to the eye. So I love that. Like I love drawing and I love drawing the boats and helping Coleman and Tim and, and helping the guys on the shop floor. And like, when we look at stuff and say, Oh, you know, let's shape this, you know, a little differently. I know that it's drawn this way or, you know, you gotta have a little bit of, of freedom to, you know, do that, put your twist on it. Can't just be exact. It's never going to be exactly what's drawn. You know, that's the beauty of it. We take all this time and we design everything on the computer. And, <clears throat> you know, I like to say that even if we were to cut the exact same jig twice and build the part off of it, you know, the way you shape it and sand it when it's raw wood or raw foam to then you glass it and then to when you ferret, and while you're shaping that and sanding it and fairing it, you, you know, if you did the same thing twice, it would not be the exact same. Yeah. It would be close and we want that. But I also like the fact that it's slightly different, you know? Yeah. Cause you're going to, what you, what came out of the first piece, say, say it's a, like a mezzanine, you're, you kind of want to, you have in the back of your mind, even though you don't speak, talk to somebody about it. If you're the one doing it, maybe we could have done it this way instead yeah. of that way, which and it can go both. I'm sure it can go both directions, but absolutely. So when we, when I came in Coleman and, and Johnny were working on, uh, on the gutters for, yeah. for the, uh, <laughs> for hatches. Yeah. Hatch for the hatches for the, the gyro and the, you would not believe the amount of time that goes into a gutter. No gutters are, <laughs> and they're very important, especially with something as important as the gyro in the cockpit where I don't, think they i think engine engineering wise i think that's where they belong but function wise it's, it's not hard a, on not them. a great, great yeah place i mean for you, you yeah. want it to stay dry yeah and that's a hard place for for a gyro to stay dry but if you have a good gutter system yep. it might be different yeah and you know you want it to be serviceable so you got to have a room around it to do all the little things that you got to do maintenance yeah, serviceable that maintenance is good yeah maintenance is a good serviceability idea. is key being able to, you know you got to look at the the general physique of a, a sport fisherman I, and I am not getting any smaller <laughs> and I think I think me and you fall right in the medium of what what an average sport <laughs> fisherman average looks yeah so 
you know, it's kind of nice to have somebody to have somebody design a boat with somebody like <laughs> in us mind. in mind. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, hey, maybe we could make this a little bit bigger. Exactly. Got to have room to work. Yeah, it's an, it's super important. <laughs> um, but let's go back. Keep on going back. And then you guys started the bill. Well, the Bill Fisher program was your mom and your your your, your yeah. Fathers. I mean, it was basically mom and dad and taking the kids fishing, mm-hmm. and we. You know, fish. We were fortunate that we traveled around and got to fish in a lot of different spots with just mm-hmm. mom and dad. And where do they get that for that passion from? That is a great question. I don't know. They're insane. They still love going. Yeah. Like you're not stopping Judy. It's She's amazing. unstoppable. Seventy four years old. She'll go as much or more than anyone else wants to go. <laughs> you know that they're getting ready to go back to Costa Rica and they'll start up and they'll just go. They yeah. wake up, eat breakfast complain a little bit to each other <laughs> hop on the boat and go fishing <laughs> yeah they uh they're hardcore you know ever since we were little kids the only that's really the only hobby that we've ever done like that we've ever had yeah. like we're not golfers we're not you it's, know we, we don't do i would say it's else. not even, it, it, it's cl- classified as a hobby you know yeah i shouldn't say popular, it was a hobby in popular I mean, culture but it, for people I, i'd like to think that it's not that i'm sure like it probably, hopefully, doesn't. It might still keep your dad up at night when fishing's good if he's not there or, or something like that. But I know it keeps us up at night. Yeah, absolutely. You know? I mean, so. I, you know, now that I'm not fishing full time and I'm I I get to be here and do this, you know, <clears throat> I still like in the morning on the way out, I get butterflies in my stomach yeah. when I'm deciding where I'm going because I never ever ever know exactly where I'm going until I end up there usually. I, I like to say that I got a plan, <laughs> but the plan always changes. Uh, you know, that's, I mean, I, I guess there's probably people that know exactly where they should be every minute of the day, but I think it's a fluid situation. It changes on the way out. It changes by the minute. Changes by the minute. It's yeah. incredible. It's uh, yeah. Mom and dad are, they're amazing. You know, they've, they, they've fished hard now for, whew, you know, 40 years. Yeah. It's pretty incredible when you think about it i mean you know we have a short season up here so they fish here they fish hard in ocean city and then they take a little break and then they fish hard in costa rica you know it used to be that we were leaving ocean city we would stop in charleston then we would go to palm beach or to the keys and then we would go to mexico and we would fish hard in mexico and then we would go to the dominican republic and then we would come back to florida usually do a bahamas trip and then back up to charleston and then back home to ocean city so I guess now they they're they're fishing just as many days now as we used to, but now it's focused on Costa Rica and Ocean City, Maryland. Do you think that makes it easier for them in the program? I, I mean, I think it does because yeah. Costa Rica is just an incredible fishery where you are, you know, how fortunate are we to be able to run out and it's flat calm every and day. it's pretty much flat every day and there's usually something biting every day and uh, you know they have a beautiful place to go fishing out of down there in Los Sueños, you know, they stay at the, the condo and hop on the boat in the morning. They have, you know, it's great. Yeah. So me and you being from ocean city, we kind of think that ocean City's at least the it's, greatest it's, place. On it's earth. probably the greatest place on earth, but we're objective enough that think that it's yeah. probably not. But for us, it, it's why I fell in love with fishing is because I, one day when I was 15 walking down the docks and, Right before, two days before the White Marlin Open, I was like, man, this is crazy. Yeah. This is just, and I, I really wanted to be a part of it. What is the, 
the community and the fishing mean to you here? Um, let's start with the community oh, first. I mean, I think it's especially. I, I do think it's a special place when it comes to the community here. Absolutely. I mean, it is a small, you know, town, and it's a small, even smaller fishing community. Uh, you know, growing up fishing here, you just feel. I don't know. You know, you, you get to go fishing. I mean, the charter business in town has obviously changed. Now it's a lot of boats where they're not year round charter boats. They haul out there on land for the winter time. It's people that have other businesses and people that do other things back in the day. I mean, most of the guys that fished out of here, they fished year round and they traveled year round. Yeah. So you would go from here to Palm beach. You'd have your live bait season. You'd go to Mexico. You'd have, you know, your trips in Mexico. So it has changed, but I mean, it's a fantastic community. I like, you probably didn't know that when I was two years old that Gary Stam was my babysitter. I did that. I you did, did know that? Yeah, but, well, no one knows Gary's that. still my babysitter now. And he yeah, tells me. Yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, so. so I've known these guys like my entire life, like yeah. Eric Blanks. I mean, Eric Blanks was like our guardian on the dock <laughs> when we were like 10 years old. You know, him and Wayne were fishing on the changes in latitudes and living on the, the posts that they ran. Yeah. And uh, we would hang out nonstop. They would take us for pizza. We'd go to the boardwalk. We'd play air hockey. I mean, it's an amazing community. Uh, some of that's probably a little different. You know, I don't know if it, if any of the captains now are kind of looking out for 10 and 12-year-old kids. I do think that that is one thing that has suffered is that there's not as many young guys walking down the dock looking to do this. Yeah, I people say that, but... Then I, then we, they, they turn up eventually. I just don't think they, I just don't think they're as many are exposed to the fishing early on in life. So when kids, there's kids now that because of the internet, well, they pop out of school. Yeah. They're like, Oh, I'm going to go fishing. Yeah. They, you know, kid from Pennsylvania can, you know, after he graduates high school or in in the summer say, I'm going to move to ocean city and see what this fishing thing's all about and make a career out of it, which I think is, is cool. But yeah, that, the real the kids kids running around there's not that many of them yeah. but there's a, there's a couple I mean our our last mate on the blood money Ayrton he's basically a kid he's 22 so yeah but, I can remember taking Ayrton fishing yeah when 14, he was like he was one of those in kids, middle yeah. school yeah well no he was probably was he 14 yeah I think he said yeah. he was 14 so yeah that I mean I feel like that suffered but I feel like the kids that come down here and get into it in their late teens, early twenties, really they're into it. They're here to, yeah. here to stay. And again, like, you know, I don't get to be on the dock every day anymore, Yeah, but I do miss it. You know, I miss that sometimes. I don't miss when the fishing's really slow Yeah, and nothing's biting. I love <laughs> being able to cherry pick my days and yeah. being like, you know what? They are biting. I think I will go. Uh, and thank God for Noah. He toughs it out and he just takes care of the boat and takes care of the folks and makes sure everything's A plus plus. And then I get to just hop on, yeah. which is really nice. That is really nice. It's lovely. <laughs> I'm not complaining. So in July, <laughs> we're out there searching for something that's typically not there. But every once in a while, you get lucky and you find them. Yeah. I was thinking back to like, you know, when Roths first, when we started using like satellite shots and Roths and you got the facts. In the morning, you know, someone would hand out the the copy photocopied facts, and and you'd just go launch off and just run out there to where you prayed that was, and there was no serious XM on the boats, so yeah, yeah. you just ran out there, and then you got out to a thousand fathoms, and guys would start hedging their bet, you know, ah, you know, I don't know if I'm going to run out there another 10, 12 miles, and uh, you know, you got to just stick with it. When in doubt, go further out, keep searching. And that was always like fun, you know. I love that part of it. I watched the. I 
for the longest time, I really didn't realize when you were back on the more, more when you guys had the 62 Spencer and you were running the boat full time, the way you fished, you were always on the hunt. It wasn't a, I think, I think people get, I was under the impression that if I just get in the right spot and pull the right stuff that they were coming to me. But back then that's kind of what I thought. And I think that's what a lot of people think, but you know, I remember being in an area and watching you when the fishing wasn't so great, you'd be, you'd be to my North and next thing you know, you'd be to my East and then you'd be to the South and then yeah. you'd be back to the East. And you were kind of, kind of, you knew that you, in some instances, we all knew that we were in the same spot, but then it was, it was trying to whittle, whittle it down to the exact spot. Yeah. The, you know, like I like to be on the leading edge of the body mm -hmm. of fish, you yeah. know? So, and <laughs> Tony diesel, we're about to be joined by Tony the come legend. In, come on in, Tony. Go ahead. Tony Diesel, ladies and Tony gentlemen. Diesel. Tony Diesel. The man who makes everything happen in the... He's the my yard. stunt double. He's amazing. What are you guys doing? Doing a little, a little podcast. podcast here. Uh, you want a mic? No. We can mic you up. I'm good. You don't need me. But it, it would be funnier if you were here. Sorry. How's it going? What's it's happening? Going. No, it's good. I just to work on things on my master. You want me to do it? Fish and yeah, you do like to be on the leading edge of the fish. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, how do you what is your process in trying to figure out which way the, the fish are going? Well, when I fished a lot more, I used to feel like I was a lot more a lot better at it and way more confident in my ability to find that. I know we're all happy and you don't. It was mostly just you know time on the water and yeah reading the current and figuring out which way the fish are moving in the tide. You know, if there was a lot of bait around, were they hanging on the bait? Which way was the bait moving overnight? <clears throat> Being able to land on them there next morning is always fun. You know, that was always my favorite thing. I was like running and then being like, this isn't where they are and making a turn and usually to the Southwest yeah. here in ocean city and, you know, stopping and being like, okay, let's try it right here. Like just stopping all of a sudden. And then you'd not even have like the spread out and you'd have one up or on. And I'd be like, ah, yes, that's what, what I'm liking. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, during the day, if you feel like the batch of fish you're fishing on gets beat up and more boats are pressuring them and pushing them around. And, and so I'd want to get on a fresh spot and, or even just get on that same batch of fish, but get out ahead of them and get on the leading edge of them to, you know, get better bites cleaner bites more yeah. aggressive fish for anybody who's fished in in costa rica and during the los Buenos series it's that's probably a great it's a much to watch the guys when the sail fishing is good you and bayless and the rest of those guys and tony like pick up and move a mile just to stay on the leading edge of the fish yeah. is a great is it is a great representation of in a much smaller area, what, what, what you try to do there is like, I love seeing that where you guys are like, Oh, everybody's. And then somebody picks up and has an idea. And it's a risk all the time. It's not oh, like yeah. you're always going to land on them, but then you kind of leapfrogs it. And then somebody but, lands. But on like, them. you know, before the sonar, I think it was easier to justify that risk. Now yeah. you can get trapped by, cause you're like, look at the targets, there's yeah. targets here. They're here. They're going to bite. Sometimes maybe they're not the right target or they're fish that have already been caught or you're seeing blue marlins on the sonar and they're, you're just not the guy getting bit by them, but you know, they're there. Yeah. And I mean, I've seen that a lot now, like 
we should be getting a blue marlobite here. That's definitely a blue marlobite on the screen. He's on the up down. Why isn't he, con- you know, and then some guys are getting just chewed up by him, which is amazing. I mean, they've got it figured out for what they need to be doing for, to get those blue marlobites. Uh, but you know, back before the sonar was so prevalent, it was, that was my favorite part was being like, we're catching doubles and triples and, and you're like, oh, let's make a move. And so you could land somewhere where you might be catching just triples and quads yeah. or, or even you might just catch doubles there, but it'd be faster paced. Yeah. You know, you don't have to spend a little as quite as much time on them. Uh, I mean, the sonar is an incredible tool. How's that, how's that change things? I mean, I think it's changed things for the better and for the worse, but the sonar. Yeah. It's, I mean, what, what's your, uh, what's your feeling on it? Come on, be honest. I mean, honestly, I think it takes guys that if you're really good at, operating that sonar i mean it just puts you a level above you know the not quite as much time and effort has to be put into reading the water reading the bird life you know like one of my favorite things in costa rica riding out was when i was down there with the tar heel or the agitator you know we were putting along and there'd be plenty of days where guys would go screaming by us (laughs) And I'd see like a little batch of white birds, like only 12 birds in a little pack and they'd be chirping. Yeah. And I'd be like, oh, there's sales right here. They're on sales. Where you'd like see hundreds of birds out ahead of you, miles. Yeah. And I'd be like, no, nah, this looks really good here. I like it when it's like one little small batch of white birds and you can hear them squawking to each other. But if you're going 35 knots and you're on the bigger boat, you're in the gyros behind the curtains, you know, you don't stop on them because you're like, you're looking for the mother load, but there's been plenty of days where we would be like, hmm, this looks right. And slow down on very little sign. And that very little sign held a lot of bites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and now with the sonar, like, you, you know, like you'll stop. There's been plenty of times, especially down there where I've, you know, and I haven't run the boat with the sonar down there nearly as much as most people have now, but like you run along and you stop under conditions and you'll put the sonar down and you're like, shit. This is not the spot. Yeah. And then it's like panic sets in because, you know, you have a very limited time <laughs> to find a better spot uh, where before, you know, you would go with your gut more. And like we were saying earlier about hunting. Yeah. You know, before the sonar, you'd say this looks right. Like there's bubble edge and there's little current and there's some birds flying around here. And, and you'd be like, I can work with this. We can make this happen. Yeah. And, you know, it was more on you to make it happen. Now, we, you know. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the sonar. It's a, it's a freaking incredible piece of machinery. Uh, and when it, when you're on and your settings are on and you feel like you're, you know, it's, it's still intuitive. Like you have to be able to look at what you're seeing on that screen and, and translate it to making something happen behind mm-hmm. the boat, you know, judging which way the target's moving on the screen, what depth it's at, being able to concentrate on running the tar you know running the sonar and the boat and getting the boat positioned correctly in reference to the target i think that's a key thing you know i think there's people that plenty of people that have the sonar and they're learning you know they're learning more and more with it every day the more days they fish with it obviously the better they're going to become with it uh and that all comes down again to days on the water and number of bites you get so being able to take what you're seeing on that screen and and make something happen from it because you're like looking at that target and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's a blue marlin, you know, and you start driving towards it and it starts like kind of moving on the screen. You're like, yeah, I got to turn the wheel back and forth. Yeah. I'm chasing this down. And you get in a turn. And I remember like the first couple of times I caught blue marlins that I know came right from the sonar screen. I'm like making a turn 
And I'm like, man, I don't know if I'm chasing this thing or it's chasing me. And I'm like, I don't know. And, and I didn't know enough then, like right when we got it to like tr- with the trackball and like event button or fish. And um, I'm just like circling this thing and circling it. And I'm like, what the hell? Screw this thing. And I just straighten out. I'm like, I guess it's not a blue marlin. And right about then is when they pile yeah. on, you know, because I think that they're literally chasing you and you're chasing them. And <laughs> yeah. Until you get out of the circle and straighten up, the thing's like, what is going on here? You know, I yeah. wonder what he's thinking. Sometimes I definitely wondered that sometimes, especially when you <clears throat> tilt back up and you, you're like, he's and you back, see him there. back there. Yeah. yeah that, that's the other thing, you know, like time on somebody do something time on that screen. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, he's back there behind the, like he's 60 feet behind the dredge. Get ready. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, wind on the dredge and I'll start pulling. Now I like, you know, I like it when you can watch him come into the spread or I'm like, all right, he's speeding up. He's coming down the left side of the boat. He's turning towards us. Get ready. Here he comes. And I'll start pulling the teaser by hand before it ever even shows back there. And then, yeah. boop, you know, they pop up behind it. I love that. That's fun. Uh, I will say I do miss some of the, you know, surprise of looking back and just getting crushed. Yeah. But, man, there's I'll take less surprise in life and more bites. <laughs> <laughs> I always feel like there was something, you know, for the boats that were getting them. And I still think that the main thing is time on the water and having having people that a good captain who can look at what he's doing or understand what's going on out there. And a bunch of people in the cockpit that, that know what they're doing downstairs that is the, is the magic dust. You sprinkle the magic dust yeah. to make it happen. But I think before the sonar, there was an aura about the people um, that did really well, that they were doing something way different than everybody else. But that's, and now you can blame it. A lot of people will blame it on the sonar and just be like, Oh, well, he's just really good at the sonar. Yeah, but there's still, I mean, there's... But there's still a lot more that goes into it. Yeah, oh, tons. I mean, so, you know, let's not take any... I wouldn't take anything away from... There's still guys that they don't even need the sonar. Yeah. Like, I know guys that catch just as many fish as people with sonars. <laughs> and you talk to them about the sonar, and they're like, yeah, I look at that thing every once in a while, and they just still get them. Yeah. I mean, that, and that's always going to be the case, you know? They're naturally... They're instinctive fishermen, and they... They just get them. I always consider, I always put, put fishermen, well, let's just say captains in two different categories are either scientists or they're artists. Yeah. Like which like one that. do you think you're, you, you are? I don't know. I think you're of the scientists. I feel like when I talk to you and yeah, but I think I'm really good at overthinking every single thing. Well, I yeah. Hence why look out the window. Yes. See all that. Yeah. Overthinking. Overthinking, but. It turns out well, but I feel like you, you can, maybe it's some, sometimes it's a bit people's ability to articulate it less than more so than, than say them actually sharing it with you. But like you're, you speak well. And when I talk to you, I get every, about a day of fishing and I wasn't fishing. I get every detail about every little thing. And, but I I think that the attention to detail is like part of the key of but then i talked to him well yeah. you know but then i talked to other really incredible fishermen and they're like ah, i don't know it kind of felt good and they were just there right you know I mean, that's, there's definitely two <laughs> ways to go about it I, those are the in my opinion those are the artists right? a- absolutely just, you know. and i'll i 100 agree with you you know there's guys that they're gonna go out there and they're gonna paint a beautiful picture and then there's guys that go out there and they have to dot every i and you know yeah. make sure that they have a piece of graph paper and they <laughs> one by one color in every square. <laughs> so, uh, 
Yeah. I which don't know. which I mean, approach do you think is better? Oh gosh, I don't know. I mean, I, I this is terrible. Remember, I always used to tease and say I, we're like the Amish. We got to do everything twice as long, twice as hard for the same outcome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's I always felt like I, you know putting in the effort and doing as much as possible and working twice as hard and trying twice as hard is the only reason that we could catch the same amount as the guys that were just really good at it. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. That's still how I am. Like, I feel like I've got to do my homework and I have to, I just always want to give it maximum effort. Yeah. I understand that. I always, we said on the blood money for the longest time, twice, twice the effort for half the results. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's similar. I mean, and I think there's, you know, more people than not feel the same way, you yeah. know. Well, I was just when we, you know, we're kind of getting going on the blood money. I was just like, we have to be out there. We were we didn't get the chances to fish as much. So I just said, we're staying until yeah. you, that until I'm told I'm going home. Right. And so. that was, I mean, that's still one of the things like, you know, 545 <laughs> in the afternoon will roll around and everybody's gone. But you know what? Might get one more. Yeah. We might get one more bite, and I'm staying for it. So, moving forward, we're just gonna just jump through. Eh, speak a little bit about because I still think that when you and John Prather were working on the 62 Spencer, you guys were uh, considering that you you always had a third guy, but it was just mainly you two. Yeah, I just think that that. They were something about what you guys were doing those couple years. Oh man, that, we were. I mean, we worked incredibly well together. It was good. No, we, I mean, it was an incredible, you know, team effort. And P and I were lucky that we got to learn so much at the. You know, I feel like that was kind of right when circle hook fishing was taking <laughs> off, and we were both willing to switch over to circle hooks before it was required and endure the pain of figuring it out and going from like, well, let's try this rig to let's try the floss rig to then, Hey, what about the baking twine? Remember our round baking twine? Oh, I still have and then rolls waxed, and rolls of it. Round baking it. twine. I have it still. That stuff's still amazing. Yeah. You know, still to this day, like if we're in a situation where I, I feel like the fish want something different and I might slow down a little bit and put a bigger bait out mm -hmm. and a heavier chin lead and I want it to swim perfectly. Right. We're breaking out the round break baking twine. <laughs> yeah. And, um, a dozen rolls of that. Scene. And you got to have the hook positioned in the head. It has, inside the spread. That's right. It has, the hook has to be facing the inside of the spread. Uh, and, you know, P was just really great teammate on the boat, you know. And uh, I've been really lucky that all the guys that we've all fished together. I mean, there's a lot of guys in town. You, me, Chris Horning, Prather, Willie. Andy, I mean, you yeah. know, the, all of us, Andy. I mean, we've all gotten to fish together and kind of learn from each other. And it's pretty amazing. It goes back to the beginning of what we were talking about, the community in this town and it being a good group of people. I mean, you think of the guys that are running the boats in town and, and how we all kind of came up together and grew up fishing together and uh, doing dumb stuff together, not fishing. And yeah, I mean, it's, we're pretty fortunate that yeah. we get to live here and do this in ocean city and, yeah, it's amazing when you think about it. And they, I, like, I get to see them all the time now because, you know, we're either built, like we're building the new Real Joy and that's Andy's, you know, command. And we do a lot of service work on the other guys in town's boats. And now P is doing, you know, yacht brokering and he was running his inshore business. So I get to see him all the time now. Uh, very lucky. Yeah, that's amazing. And it was an incredible time, you and him. Oh, yeah. I mean, we fished. 
you know, you did Mexico and then Char- you know, we fished Charleston, yeah. Ocean City, Mexico, the Bahamas, and did well everywhere we went. You yeah. know, we were very lucky that we were very consistent and from tuna fishing to, you know, live bait and sales in Florida to, you know, fishing in Mexico and then back up. I mean, we were, we were consistent. Yeah. Consistency is key. Yeah. So fast forward a little bit and you have the 64, the yep. boat that you guys built. And we're going to talk a little bit later about the boat itself, but we're going to talk about a couple of moments that you guys had. Um, am I right that I can't remember which one was first, the big fish or the white Marlin open? The big fish. Uh, well, the, the white Marlin open the yeah. first year we had the boat 2021, we had fished like three days before the white Marlin open and we've, one third place yeah, for went, White Marlin yeah, with yeah. that. And you guys, so you guys have been fishing the White Marlin Open since the beginning or close to it? Yeah, I mean, Dad's fished it for God knows how many years. And that was the first fish you guys had ever... No, we had weighed fish and we had been bumped okay. off of But the, that's the first fish that you guys... That we'd had. ever... That was the first White Marlin that we had ever won money with in the White Marlin Open for all of the decades of <laughs> fishing. And that was a lot of me running the boat and sucking. Well, now we had done release that, stuff yeah, but that, and we had so, won money for dolphins, but we had never killed a blue marlin in the tournament and we had killed white marlins in the tournament and gotten bumped off, yeah, yeah. you know, out of the, you know, money spots numerous times. There's plenty of times where the week ended in heartache. I mean, it mostly does. No matter I think it know. does. Yeah. It's like, <clears throat> you know, getting hit by lightning to but, win that thing. Um, how do you, how do you guys how did you guys define success in that tournament? Because you, it is getting hit by lightning, but you guys have always been, I mean, everybody has their off years for the, the those three days of fishing, but you know, you guys have always been the top end of releases and your philosophy for That's, the, the two big, biggest tournaments is, you know, cause I, I, I talk to a lot of people and they're like, Oh, we didn't win a million dollars or, you know, but I don't know if you can enter that tournament and, and, and base how you feel about the week after, on whether you won a million dollars. I don't, I don't think it's a great, it's not a healthy thing. That's for sure. Well, no, you know? not a, let's be honest. None of this is healthy. Uh, <laughs> my judgment of success in the tournament is, well, A, I'm extremely hard on myself. So I think I suck no matter what happens. Uh, but I look at it like we had to be in the, in the, like I liked knowing that I was either around where the winning fish was caught yeah. and, or that we had the bites you know, that it would take to win either top release boat or, yeah. you know, sometimes things don't work out. You can't control the size of the fish that come up behind the boat. Mm-hmm. You know, you can certainly try to present them with baits that you think bigger fish are going to eat. Uh, but I just like knowing that I'm in the right zone. Like you could be fishing in a spot where, and there was, there's years where I'm like, we are not going to catch the winning fish. Like that's kind of, it's changed. When I was younger, I was determined to win top release boat top points boat was that was my goal yeah and i have screwed that up more than once by only concentrating on that and letting go fish prematurely like as soon as we get the leader but we're fighting two more and i'm like get rid of that thing and we pop them off and i'm like i wonder how many 72 or 74 pound white marlins that we let go foolishly there was one time where we were in the we were tied for top release boat and we had like legit a five hundred to five fifty pound blue marlin. This was way before it was you know the minimum that it is now, 
on the leader next to the boat. And I'm like, if we let this fish go, there's no way we're winning top release boat. <laughs> Who does that? And why yeah. am I so dumb? That, uh, That's really dumb. Yeah. I know. But, you know, it was like, I, I just wanted to win top boat. In the way well, why is that? Because you, because. Because it's you're fishing against the best yeah. people I, in the world. I remember, I look at that list because I, I don't know if they still do this in the Oh, panel, yeah, in used, the magazine. And you, look and at you the don't top think that I sat there and yeah. read every single captain that has won this. And I'm like, one day. One day. That's. I'm going to be on that list, you know? Fucking yellowfin. I should have cut the fucking yellowfin off like you did the blue marlin. Well, we we didn't cut, we did cut it off because we let it go. It was a nice release. It was a nice gesture to the blue marlin. And then, uh, you know, there's now like I want to win the heaviest fish. You know, so yeah. we take a look at each fish a little bit better now. We're not so quick to let them go. Yeah, and I think over the years, you know, you become such a better judge of the size of them. You know, and, and when, like when Prather and I were fishing together and I felt con- we were fishing enough days and charter fishing and fishing enough tournaments where I'd hook away Marlin and I'd be in the first circle and I'd be like, oh, that one's coming in the boat. That's a 80 pounder. Yeah. And, you know, luckily it would be an 80 pounder. Uh, in the way Marlin opened, you know, the, the it's really funny. The fish that we won first place with in, in 2022 I told I have we talked about this where Noah was bringing me my peanut butter and jelly sandwich. No, but let's go to let's because this is I want to get this whole day, this um, whole week, the this the story this whole week. So let's go back to the Monday or the Tuesday. It doesn't. It started out awesome, and then the middle of the week was not awesome. Okay, and then it went back to awesome. Okay, well let's let's start twenty twenty two White Marlin Open. Okay, on the sixty four. Yeah, Duffy, Bill Fisher. You got mom, dad, Danny Golf. Noah, the, the usual suspects. The usual suspects. Yeah, Jer was on there, Jared. and uh, you know we were coming off an incredible first year with the boat. The, the year before, we had won third place in the White Marlin Open. Then we won the Mid Atlantic with the Blue Marlin, and we went into the tournament season for 2022. And we were like, "Well, there's no way that anything good is going to happen." Like <laughs> we, I had totally convinced everyone on board that we weren't going to catch anything. It was a waste of time. Why are we even entering the tournaments? Uh, if anybody wants to know where ocean, people from Ocean City get a never everlasting pessimism, this is this oh, is where please. it comes from. I didn't start that. <laughs> uh, so we, the first day of the tournament, like there was very poor conditions. Wouldn't you agree? Horrible. Uh, fishing had been poor before the tournament. It seemed like it was going to be a very, very, very slow tournament, which it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, first day of the tournament, I was like, you know what? I'm not fishing around anyone else. I'm running way up to the northeast because I like fishing up there in the White Marlin Open outside. There the was a little slipper of water up there. Yeah, but there it didn't was look like, great when you got there. But wasn't it was great. What, it was what it was. And so we started fishing up there, and we caught a tuna. And then I fished like man, I probably fished like ten or fifteen miles farther out and down the beach, and we caught a blue marlin on a little rip. It's like a hundred and fifty pounder. And an hour later, we caught a white marlin, and an hour later, we caught a blue marlin, and all of our fishing was on this same little, like, rip. There was no grass. There was no blue water. There was really nothing to speak of other than some schools of yellow fins on top. But all of our marlin bites came off of this little rip and this school of tunas, like this yellowfin tuna. And before the tournament, we had had some blue marlin bites, and they had always been around schools of tunas that, that year. So the second day of the tournament, I was like, well, we're going to go back out there and fish around the same piece of water that we fished on Monday. And uh, I was like, we'll just, you know, run down to the leading edge of it. So I did. I moved us like 15 miles down the beach the next day or the second day we fished, which was Wednesday. 
And we started out in the morning, same thing, a couple tunas popping around, airing out, seeing them on the sonar. And we hadn't had a marlin bite all day. Uh, and I was now at this point, I was like just above the dump site, you know, between the Wilmington and the Baltimore, but way offshore, like out on the east side of it. Um, and there's a school of tunas on the sonar. And I'm like, man, that's a big school of tunas. And I was like, I don't really want to go through them. So I turned off to, to starboard and I'm going along. And then there's this target and it's like kind of behind the tunas a little ways. And I was like, Ooh, and I was, I hadn't seen any pilot whales around, you know? So I'm like, nah, there's definitely a marlin on the sonar here. And I'm, I'm aiming towards it. And then it like dart darts off. Like I could tell it was trucking. It's like moving out to the side. So I made a circle trying to circle around it and then it's circling and we literally circled each other like two or three times. And I finally, I told him downstairs, I'm like, I don't know what's going on with this thing. Screw this thing. I'm going, I'm straightening out. It's not coming. I don't know if I'm chasing him or he's chasing us. So I turned and went down sea and that thing wheeled in behind the short rigger. And oh my God, it was a jaw dropper. This uh, is after you caught a, the, the thousand, how big was the one? 1135. All right. This was the year after, but yeah, yeah, like yeah. it yeah. swam in behind the short rigger and then it swam past the short and swam under the chain. And I pulled the chain out like all the way to the boat and the thing followed. And I'm like, Oh my God. So I'm pulling the teaser and it wheels around outside the spread and it's swimming on the surface. It's dorsals out of the water and it turns back around and starts kicking what like kicking with its tail. And it swims back into the middle of the spread and starts dark, like heading towards the, the left short. And I'm like, whoops, keep on going. So I was like, she's going to do it. She's going to eat the left short. And she cocked her dorsal down. And I mean, pile drives that Joe Yi. And it's the same lure that we had caught the fish the year before on this. Not the exact lure, but the same head, same color combination, same age. And it pile drives it. And it starts burning us down. And it's greyhounding and jumping in a circle behind the boat. And I'm just literally like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening again. It's <laughs> it's in the air and it's behind the boat. And my older brother, Jeremy, looked up at me and he goes, oh, my God. <laughs> and I, like he mouthed, oh, my God, yeah. to me. And I was like, I know. <laughs> and we got down, you know, we're down and tight on it. Billy's in the chair. We get this. We get everything put away. Dredges are put away. The deck is clear. We. The thing's got us down to like a quarter of a spool left. And we're just like easing back on it, taking our time and, and keeping a lot of pressure on her. And we gained back quite a bit of the spool and we got the riggers up and the gaffs out. And I'm like, cool, we're, you know, we're going to get this fucking yeah. thing. And I was like, it's a dead duck. I, th I thought for sure we had it the way she looked hooked. when she. I mean, when this thing jumped in a circle, I mean to tell you, it jumped back through the center of the spread close enough that you could see the lure bouncing alongside it and see the hook set in the fish's face. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it, it was money. It looked money to me and we gained back a lot of the, the spool and that thing made a run and I've never heard a one thirty sing. Like it sounded like old school TLD. Like when you hook a yellowfin on it or a Wahoo and it's going, that's what the one thirty was doing. And then it just stopped. And I'm, I put it we were I was pulling ahead at that point and I'm like, oh no. And I'm like, it's gone. Well, I think what happened was, you know, those older lures have the little brass tube inside. Mm -hmm. When we wound the leader in, the lure had jammed up on the crimp and it had spun so hard. It looked like you took the crimp and put it in a metal lathe and spun it down to a point. Oh wow. So I, I think what happened is 
it had flipped the skirt over. She was running so fast. Mm-hmm. The lure had slid up the line and it was spinning on the, on the, the cramp. Okay. You know, the, yeah. The head yeah, of the yeah, lure yeah. was spinning on the cramp. So it would be the, the skirt side of the lure, you think? It would be, yeah, the back yeah. end of the lure. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was and jammed the, the lure head. Yeah. 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 And I think it spun so fast and so hard that it literally sliced us right off. Damn. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> and then what happened after that was, Really amazing. I almost had a stroke or a heart attack for, I'd say, a good 30 minutes. I was like my blood pressure. I don't know what really high blood pressure is on a chart, but it was off the chart. Yeah. Um, So eventually we had to calm down and put our ship back out and we put the spread back out and and we fished offshore a little ways and and we had some bites. We ended up catching. I think we. I think we caught four white marlins, but I mean, we missed a couple of sails. We missed a, and in one turn, I know we missed like two white marlins, two sails, pulled off, jumped off. And then we saw a blue that wouldn't bite. Anyways, it turned out to be a good afternoon of fishing action, not catching action, but still going into the last day of the tournament, we were sitting pretty. I mean, we yeah, were at release really points. Well, yeah. We were, you know, right there. I mean, the fishing was terrible the, to think that on the first day we caught two blues and a white. And on the, the second day we had like four whites and that we were in first place for release points. Yeah. And the mama C was right there with release points. So I knew the last day, like, you know, there's no way we're going to hold off Mahoney, but we went out there and we would fish the same exact body of water. It had just slid down the beach seven more miles. And, uh, we set out and, and we were like literally 99.5 miles when we set out hundred mile limit and we fished around there and we hadn't had a bite, but there was lots of targets and, and I'm pretty sure they were, you know, like small to medium sized manta rays. But then we started marking some tunas and I was like, Oh, school of tunas. I was like, guys, we're going to catch a marlin here. There's school of tunas on the, on the sonar. Cause they're always around the tunas now. And I'm looking out the bow and there's a white marlin swimming on top. And I was like, oh, there's a white marlin on top here, guys. So I drive over to it and it paddles in, gets on the teaser and mom hooks it. We let that one go. And I'm like, oh, that was cool. Now it's like 1030 in the morning, you know? And I'm like, oh, I'm going to fish up the beach a little bit because there's definitely nothing happening south of us. And and the way the tide had swung, it seemed like everything was going up. Like all the tunas were going up the beach, you know, everything felt like it was moving up. So I just started fishing up. And got offshore, like, I mean, I was tinging the rigger tips on the, on the fence and I turned back in and I'm up on the bridge and Noah had come up with my daily peanut butter and jelly sandwich and he handed it to me and I'm looking out the front of the boat, stuffing my fat face. And uh, I'm like, Oh, look, see that white Marlin free jumping. And he's like, get out of here. And I'm like, no, look, there he is again, like 500 yards up there is a white Marlin. So I started trolling that way. And we get closer and he's on the surface just tailing again. And so I'm like, oh, there's a white marlin coming down the right side of the boat, guys. Get ready. And he paddles in there behind the right long and we missed him. And it swirled around and I see it race over to the left long and Jeremy's holding the rod. And I'm like, oh, boy, because you can ask even Jeremy will tell you this. He was having a rough year that year. He had not been hooking him (laughs) as well as he normally does. And he gets bit. And he comes tight and it pops out and it, and it's pulling drag. And he's like, 
well, shit, we already won. I actually hooked one. <laughs> and we're laughing because we just thought, you know, regular old white marlin on there. And, you know, we get the leader in like five minutes, like circle it one time. It never jumped. We get the leader and the fish jumps on the leader. As soon as we touch the leader, the thing jumps. And I'm like, oh, like, don't break him off. Don't break him off. And, and uh, Noah's like, what? And I'm like, go break him off. So the fish darts off and it starts acting like a real prick. I mean, this thing gets down and dirty on us and we fought it for like 45 minutes. And I was like, this thing's feeling right now. You know, it's looking yeah. right the way it's acting, the way it's darting around. I'm like, it's going to be a, a round scale spear. And it comes up on the surface and, and we'd back over to him and try to get the leader. And every time we would kind of back over to him, it, it would start doing this real hard, like back and forth, back and forth, darting back and forth. And then it would swim across the stern. So I was like, guys, here's what we're going to do. I was like, get ready. I was like, any gaff shot you can on this thing. And I said, I'm going to pull away from it and we're going to let it dart back and forth. And when it shoots to the left, I'm just going to back up and then put it in and we're going to glide past him and stick him on the way by. And it actually worked perfectly. The thing darted out to the right and it swam back hard to the left. And I was already backing up alongside of it. And I just eased off her. So we had clean water behind the boat and the fish swam right by us and boop, we stuck it, <laughs> flipped it in the boat. And I was like, oh boy, that's a nice At one. this point... No, there had been one fish killer, Yeah, at this right? point, a qualifier, yeah. a qualifier is you're, you're worth really, a lot. really excited. Yeah. <laughs> and the year before, we had killed you know the third place fish, which was 78 and a half pounds. And yeah. the measurements of this fish were pretty much identical. Uh, and I was like, oh, yeah. That, I, and so I was like, well, let's call it a day. So I, I said, ah, you know what? We'll troll for home. And it, remember, it was supposed to get really shitty. Yeah, it did get shitty. Yeah. It did. And we were trolling for home for like... I don't know, 45 minutes or an hour cleaning everything up. We had the fish and ice and on the, in the bag, you know, and um, everything was beautiful. So I just headed for the dock and we got in there to the scale. And uh, when they uncovered the fish, I can't remember his name. What's the name of the big guy that, that's I like the, the waymaster? You know yeah, who I'm talking yeah, about, right? Exactly what you're talking about. And he, he looked over. typically, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He looked over and he said, ooh. Guys ready to break some hearts. <laughs> and I was up, sitting up in the bridge hatch and I was, I couldn't even look. I didn't even look up. Like I literally sat there with my head down and I didn't want to look at the scale and they pulled the fish up on the dock and they lifted it for a second. And I like glanced over at it and I didn't want to look at the scale. So I just sat there looking down and then I heard every, I heard him say 77, you know, and everybody started screaming and I was like, holy moly. Cause you know, it's Friday afternoon. Yeah. But let me tell you what, that was a long wait till the end of the night that night. I mean, I, <laughs> we got the boat back to the house and tied up and I didn't move from that chair, just sitting there listening. And, and then when they said, that's it, it's over, you know, the scale's closed. I was like, I can't believe this happened. I mean, that's been my lifelong dream. No, yeah. Yeah. You guys to, yeah, to win first place, heaviest white Marlin in the white Marlin open and win and, top boat, right? And yeah, yeah. And we people said that, that that couldn't be done. There's a lot of people that say that couldn't have been, couldn't be done. Yeah. But I think it's been done before. I don't think, I so. think that Mahoney did it on the dream time. Well, maybe they won. I think on the dream time they won. We, we, we got to look that up. I wonder if, how long that'll take, though. I don't know how to. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing. Bayless was the angler on that. He built the boat, caught the winning fish. I mean, it's kind of like you beat him with that because 
you built the boat, drove the boat, and your brother caught the winning fish. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's incredible. An incredible moment for you and the family, I assume. And to do it on, like, you know, for me, I'm like, I can't believe after last, after 2021, to then win first place, heaviest white marlin in 2022, it was like, I should never step foot on a boat again. Yeah. But I can't help it because I still love it. You still love it. You got to keep on going. And, and now, like with Colt, you know, my son Colt is—he's eleven now. He was ten last summer, and him—he started hooking his own fish the winter before in Costa Rica. He came down and and hooked a couple sails and hooked a blue marlin, <laughs> which he snaked my mother on. She was on the right flat and she missed it the first time, and and I was like, Colt, drop it back, drop it back, and he <laughs> dropped it back and it ate him. And she was not a happy grandma, but he was a really happy 10-year-old for hooking his own blue marlin. And then this summer, he just had an incredible summer. I mean, he was going fishing. He fished a lot of days, like just him and my parents and Noah, and had an incredible, incredible summer. Hooking his own, you know, he hooked his own blue marlins this summer. He hooked a sailfish up here this summer. He hooked white marlins up here this summer. He won top junior angler for the marlin club, which was like... According to him, his lifelong dream, which, you know, he's only, he's 11 now. So, <laughs> but that was amazing. That's Georgia, we got Georgia out there. My daughter, she's eight. She went and caught a sailfish out of Ocean City, Maryland as her first billfish, which that's a rarity. It's amazing. Yeah. Pretty cool, dude. Yep. What else you got? No, just chat a little bit about your boats, man. We're talking okay. about the 64. The 64 Duffy and uh, the 70, 72, is it? Yeah, the Den Boys. Den Boys are the two, your two biggest boats. You have a couple skiffs and the 26. Yeah. Um, uh, let's just talk about your philosophy a little bit about how you build a boat. Because, you know, I've known you for as long as I did. The idea of the boat being overbuilt is a big, big, um, yeah, I mean, big part of your philosophy. I think correct? that durability and functionality of the boats is like, you know, paramount. I mean, I always used to joke around and say, you know, if, if I'm going to build it, I got to make sure that it's going to hold up for me. Like I was always looking for a floating bulldozer. Yeah. You're not, you're not, you're not terribly gentle on the boats that you've No, but I'm probably harder on them fishing than I am when we're running. Like when we're traveling, I'm, I'd like to say that I'm easy on them. And, uh, but fishing, yeah, I could be a little hard on equipment. Uh, but you know, that's what I want. I want something that we can take out there day in and day out and put to work you know get it in the field drop the plow and go so like the way we're building the boats now i think you know we built a really really robust hull it's durable it's heavy duty it's probably way overdone uh do you mind like i don't say you're sacrificing your performance because we're probably sacrificing performance the boats are still pretty quick but i mean it's they're not you know they're they're built to do to be to go when you need to go. Yeah, yeah. Like that's that's my thing is yeah, are we sacrifice in performance? Absolutely. When it's flat calm, sure, we could shave some weight out of that thing and probably go a little faster. But I don't have to slow down that much when it's choppy. And there's plenty of days where it's crappy and I'm just rolling along. Yeah. And I'd rather be comfortable. And it's nice going downstairs and you're sitting in the salon having a conversation, you know, with your folks. Yeah, and the ocean's still ripping by. You're still making yeah. great speed. Like right. when it's shitty, you're making great speed still. Yeah. And, and then when you get there, it's comfortable and the, there's no noise in the boat and you're not, you know, worried about, man, how, how much can this thing take? I, I'd rather have that. That's my kind of philosophy for building the, for the construction of the boats is to make sure that they hold up and 
that we can go fishing when we need to go fishing. Yeah. How has, have the gyros, uh, influenced how the, the, your hulls are? Cause you can get away with a little bit more. I mean, dead rise. You can get away with a little more dead rise yeah. and a little more convexity in the bottom panels and, uh, a little more round in the bottom, you know, with more dead rise and, and you know that the gyro is going to make it comfortable to fish mm-hmm. like that. So you get more sea keeping ability and you can run that dead rise a little farther aft and get a little bit better tracking. And, uh, you know, it all comes with a, a price, you know, you're, you're building a heavier boat, you're building a boat that has a little more dead rise. So you, inherently that's going to push a little harder, mm-hmm. going to take more horsepower to push it to speed. But I mean, there's trade-offs in everything, right? I mean, who would design a boat today, not planning on having a, a gyro and be a sonar. Yeah. You know, back in the and a tower. I mean, who would do that? So. Uh, maybe we should get a tower. <laughs> Believe me, I've already talked to Drew at Palm Beach Towers about it. I, I would love to get a tower on there. Oh, I don't. I wouldn't like it. Yeah, but you know, I mean, it's functional. I think that now with the sonar, yeah. the tower is another thing that is coming back around and yeah. is key. Like, because now the captain, where he used to be the eyes, right? He, I was looking back. I never wanted to miss that bite and be able to tell everyone what was happening. Now. You spend a lot of time looking at your plotter and your sonar mm-hmm. and then the fish finder. And and if you're really doing a good job with the sonar, should you be looking back for the bite? No, you should be looking to tell them he's yeah. underneath the teaser. Yeah. He's still back there. And then you can turn around. Yeah. But a lot of times you're missing the bite now. Wouldn't you agree? Like you miss a lot of the bites. I would say the ones that you don't know are coming, you're definitely missing. But they're the ones that you, you have a good feeling about. I mean, yeah, you can turn around yeah. and tell them it's coming, but yeah. I still like, there's a lot of times where, or if I'm like in a target rich environment, I, I'm not really worried about that first bite. I'm yeah, worried yeah, about the second, second or the third one. one. Right. So I'm, I don't want to take my eyes off the sonar. Cause I want to continue my circle. I'm like, I'm going by him. Get ready. You should be getting a bite any minute now, any second. Here he comes. Get ready. And I'm like up, down, 75 feet, get ready for the bite. Yeah. And then I just keep going because I'm driving to that next target. And I'm like, oh, I can get him and I can turn and maybe we'll get him also before I even worry about looking yeah. back to stop for that first one. And hopefully by then someone down below has said, I got him on or, you know, we're tight. Yeah. Or screams fish on or something, something like that. Yeah. You know, who knows what they do. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So now I think, you know, having a guy in the tower that's in communication with the captain. Now he, the captain's saying on the sonar, you know, he's back there. I can see him under the dredge or I, he yeah. should be back there by the long riggers. And your tower man now can be like, yeah, he's in between the riggers or, Hey, he's 50 feet behind the dredge. Yeah. I think that's, you're going to see a big swing around. I think more people will put towers back on the boats now. Yeah. It's gotten to a point where, especially in those 20 years where it's so competitive that you need to know, like the guy driving needs, needs to, the sonar guy or the, the captain He's to tell the guy in the tower, hey, right, so he's focused on the right side. Right. Know? And that all just having just that many more seconds of information could change things. Could Absolutely. Make things a lot easier for your, your uh, anglers. Yeah. Say. You know, the guy in the tower, even if you're you're really keyed in with the sonar, if it's a, a really small blue marlin or a striped marlin, you're not going to be able to tell if he's a striped marlin or a yeah. sail. And if he can tell you it's a stripe, you know, he's behind the teaser, it's a striped marlin, or he's behind the dredge. Before, you know, yeah, they can either get a pitch or they can move a dink bait out of the way or, you know, it just helps you. Yeah. It's another advantage. That's for sure. Yeah. So, what are the, in, in the two boats, give me something that you're really, that maybe is unique about the two, the two bigger boats that you've built so far. Uh, each one of them. Oh gosh. Come on. I don't know. Um, well, obviously, you know, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that we built 
the 64 mm-hmm. and, and um, I love the, the simplicity of it. It's not a super, you know, complex boat. It has simple systems, but we've been, you know, fishing it now for a few years and have 3,500 hours on it and haven't had any real issues with the systems or the setup. And, uh, you know, I, I love the, the design of it. It's a little bit old school, even our newer boats that we're building now, while they look like it, you know, I always joke around with Coleman that we're on like our fourth evolution of design because I'm fortunate that we do all of our design work in house. Mm-hmm. So every time we sit down to draw something, we can tweak it on the spot. We don't have to wait for feedback from someone else or wait for, you know, an outside contractor to draw us another design. Yeah. So I'm constantly playing with the look of the boat. I mean, there's 9 million things on there that I would have changed. Yeah. But I mean, it, you look at it and it, it kind of is an ode to the classic boats yeah. with, the, with the hard broken shear. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that the house is certainly isn't square, but it's no. a little bit more blunt than, yeah. than say the new, the newer, but right. But that's boats. my style. Yeah, yeah. I wanted that big, yeah. like tough looking proud bow. Yeah. You know, I love the look of like a classical, like a classic because Carolina. A lot boat. of other builders are, their houses seem to be getting smaller. Oh, and a lot of people are going away from that more traditional look yeah. and, and I just love it, you know. Have you ever seen an ugly Rybovich? No, no, you haven't. Like I mean, they they're classic, right? Yeah, so timeless, yeah. That's what I want. I want that timeless look. And I also want when you get close to the boat, there's like a lot of modern shape to it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, there's no hard corners, there's no straight lines. So we have curves where we need them. Yeah. And I want that. Like when you look at it from a profile, like side on view. It's, it's very traditional looking, but when you get close to the boat in person, there's a lot of shape where I think, you know, it's a lot of modern shapes it's definitely, you know, from the curved glass and the windows to, you know, the shape, the camber in the cabin and in the bridge. And I just, you know, I'm really proud of that. And I think that even on the Dem boys, you know, we, we soften the shear a little bit and we rake the cabin back a little more. Yeah. Uh, but it's still, I mean, that thing is a tank. Yeah. It's I a feel like beast. You know, when you guys were, when you pray there had the, were on the 62 Spencer, I felt like, you know, you, that boat would get close to you and it was intimidating, like would slice you up. Like it would, like, <laughs> but where these were, especially the 64, it more feels like you're just going to get run over, you know? <laughs> That's probably because the guy driving yeah. run you over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a more imposing boat it uh, has a bigger profile to it yeah, it's, I, it's I mean look hey you could argue that they're not as sleek as some of the and, other guys and that and that's their look yeah, and, yeah. and i was just going for something that was probably a little different and god knows you know i love a ricky scarborough yeah, yeah. i mean my i've got a thing for ricky and his boats and yeah. uh you know growing up that was like our dream right to have a scarborough and we've we were fortunate enough to have Ricky senior built us a boat and, and the second boat was even better. And then we redid a couple and, uh, I love them. I love the look of them. And I I always thought that that broken shear and, and it, look, it's a different boat. You know, Ricky was always big on the low bow deck and he wanted that bow as low and long Mm -hmm. as possible. And, uh, I wanted a big proud bow and I wanted, you know, the boat to be, like you said, I wanted it to have this big imposing feel, you know, uh, but still have modern look to it. So, and everybody has to have their own thing. And, no, and that was to. kind of the style that I, I wanted to try to blend like a classic boat with the, mm-hmm. you know, big proud bow and with a more modern shape. And so this is where we are and I love it, you know, and 
it's kind of what I drew. So that's where we're at. And the Den boys turned out, you know, that's 70 footer and, and it's really closer to 72 than 70, but, uh, you know, holds a ton of fuel, has great accommodations inside overbuilt. I mean, I don't know if you've had a chance to go in the engine room. I did. I'm and that's, I want to proud of that. Talk room. about the engine room. The, that that's the, when I got to go on the boat, that was where I spent most of the time because interiors don't really, I don't know. They're just inside, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but the engine room, I, the couple of the things that I really, really thought were clever were the way you did the, the wire, they're not really wire chases. They're just wire, like almost like valleys where yeah. upside down valleys where the, the wires are hidden. You don't see them, but they're, right, but they're all accessible. accessible. And that's the key. Like, yeah. I mean, like you were talking about earlier. So for, for everybody in our size, yeah. for everybody listening, if I can try to describe the engine room and you can interject if you want, Johnny, but like you go downstairs and you look up and there's something that drops down around the, the border there's of the a engine valance. room, a valance yeah. basically. And, but you, you see very few wires and hoses and mainly, but when you walk directly under it vertically, you can look up and see everything exposed, yeah. wires, hoses, what have you. And I think it's, it's an, an incredible way to keep everything looking clean will still be in easily serviced. easily service, which is very difficult to do in my opinion. Right. And then the other cool thing I found that you put the put all the pumps and the compressors for the EC on Well, you we try to vibration isolate yeah, so the, everything. So the there was a piece of starboard and then you mounted the Yeah the, we, on in, rubber. In too. the boat itself there's actually a, a a fiberglass, you know, pad. And then we drill and tap that with machine screws and then we mount vibration isolators to the boat and then we mount a starboard pad to the vibration isolator and then we soft mount the pump with another vibration isolator to that just trying to cut down shipboard noise and vibration yeah you know i feel like it's just you know a better way to do it i think that i think it's it's quiet smooth you don't feel like the ac pumps running through the boat you know it's amazing how you can stand on the bow deck and feel a pump kick on yeah. in the engine room but you can these things because of the construction methods that everybody is using now the boats are so rigid and so strong there's no give you feel everything so the more you can decouple you know the vibration of a pump from the surface of the vessel the, the smoother it'll feel less vibration which feels better to me yeah it's nicer i think it's incredible i think that I mean, the engine room and the dem boys is i think it's a it's a work of art man yeah it turned out incredible and i mean that's a testament to the guys that are that are on the shop floor doing it you know they they're the ones that come up with most of this stuff and and uh you know their ability to turn our thoughts into the finished product yeah it's a huge coming up with ways to mount the pumps and have where it's you know yeah like like something like that that idea how how many evolutions do you think it goes through like i mean a few yeah and then even just like the method of mounting it to the bracket where now we have like a starboard pocket where we can take the the spare pump. Like if you didn't want two pumps built into the boat for redundancy, now, you know, we just have a water pump in a box that already has the same exact starboard footprint under it. That's got a, a it's got like a tooth on one end. So of it's it. already mounted to the piece of starboard. So right. And it's got a Deutsch plug yeah, and it's got yeah. a quick, you basically undo two hose clamps, unplug the Deutsch plug. That's amazing. Undo two hex head, you know, half inch bolts that are into an insert in a piece of starboard below it. So you just unscrew two bolts, slide the pump out and it locks in, you know, it it just slides out of its cradle 
It's got a little receiver. And then you grab the spare pump, slide it into the receiver, run the two bolts in and plug it in and you're back in action. Yeah. So we're trying to, you know, come up with better ways to do that. There's, I mean, I don't think that people, you think of it obviously. And I think that goes, says a lot about, you know, you and other, other builders who have run boats professionally, you know, you start to see those things in, 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 in you guys' boats because of that. Cause you were, you, you have changed that pump that is in a hole yeah. smaller than the, the fucking pump is. You yeah. Know? I hate that. The one, the one hander where you can look at it, but you just can't get to yeah. it. Yeah. You can get one set of, you can get some of your fingers to it, yeah. but not your whole hand. And you can't, I mean, these things happen because yeah. look, I don't care how big the boat is like that, that 80 footer that's outside the window there. We're fighting for every inch yeah. inside there to fit the equipment and have it plumbed well and, and wired well. And you, I don't care how big the boat is. If you built a 200 footer, you're still going to fight for space to oh, mount sure, everything yeah. that goes in there. So coming up with creative ways to mount it, coming up with, you know, easy ways to replace it is, is paramount. You know, yeah. that's key. We got to keep doing that. And we have to, I, you know, that's one of the things like joke around all the time with the guys in here. And I'm like, we'll strive, you know, we'll strive for perfection, but we'll settle for excellence. Yeah. I mean, and cause you, there's always going to be a compromise in any, anything that is built. It's never going to be the perfect boat, but an excellent boat is pretty amazing. An yeah. Amazing boat is pretty amazing. And I mean, even if it's amazing, or excellent, we still are going to try harder on the yeah, next one. For sure. You're going to you learn know? a lot about, yeah. you know, whatever you're doing and move on to it. So, yeah. And I love it. I mean, you know, like we were saying earlier with the creativity that goes into it and, uh, you know, it has its moments where I'm like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> like, yeah, why, sure. why have I done this? I could be fishing right now. It's, it's really hard when like they're biting yeah. <laughs> and it's hot and itchy and dusty, but for the most part, you know, how many people can say that they get to do this? No, you know, it's amazing. And I've been really lucky that like the guys that did this before me have been a huge help and have been mentors and, you know, is it similar to being on the dock where your guy, you know, you, you're kind of working with everybody, but you're competing against everybody at the same time. You're, you're, I mean, I I like to think that, yeah, Yeah. you know, I mean, there's obviously, everyone's got things that they want to keep for themselves. Yeah, and, for sure. But look at the end of the day, when you put these boats out of the shop, everybody gets to look at them and uh, you know, you can pick them apart and you can also look at it and say, Oh wow. You know, that was a freaking great idea, yeah. man. We need to try to do something on the same you know level. And uh, everyone is building such incredible boats. All the guys that are custom builders that are still doing this are doing such incredible stuff. Like it's hard to, keep up and keep track and try to, I don't know how you say you're trying to outdo them, but you want to do something that's like on the same level yeah, as yeah, all of them. Right. Sure. You want yeah. to compete. You want to, you don't want to go out there and feel like, Oh my God, we've, you know, I always feel like we're missing like the ball, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah. Oh God, we suck. We have to do better. Uh, so it's nice to get feedback from other builders and, and that they work together with you well and that they're, you know, they're helping you and, and, and they're good counsel. You know, you can call them and be like, have I absolutely lost my mind? What do you think about this? Uh, you know, it, it makes me really proud to count those guys that I can, and you know, people that I can call up and, and pick their brain and that they allow me to do that, you yeah. know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing. So well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate the time, Johnny. Yeah. The shop's incredible. Thanks. The 80-foot real joy is incredible. Talk about imposing. That Ooh. thing's going to be 
Very, it is. Very uh, it's cool. It's a neat project. I think that, you know, well, we'll be out there fishing on it this summer. Yeah. So do you, so speaking on the real joy, the boat doesn't look like a traditional, it's not a traditional Carolina looking boat. It's, it's no, not it, really a traditional Duffy looking boat. Not at all. But, but how, so just in closing, you know, you do build custom boats. Yeah. And that is part it's of. It's a custom boat. It's a custom boat. And that's part of. But you like, know. look at my 26 footer. It doesn't look like a Carolina boat. No. You no. know, it doesn't look like a, a typical Northern customs yeah, yeah. fish. It looks like came from Florida. Yeah. And then the real joy, you know, the, the owner of the boat loves his boat yeah. that he has. And he, he wanted to have, that was his boat. So he wants to feel like he's getting his boat. His boat. Yeah. And that's the beauty of doing this. Like we're building boats for people that look at the end of the day, these guys, they're, they're able to have whatever they want. Yeah. And I want them to feel like the boat that they're getting from here is it's, something that could only come from here. Yeah. You know, like that, that their fingerprints are on everything that they touch on this boat. Yeah. Like, and not just because they picked the interior or anything like that, but in the fishability and the layout and the look of the boat, you know, there's things that we've incorporated into the boats that we've designed and to the boats that we've built that I feel like, you know, they came to us and they trust us to do this because they know that that's what they're going to get. They're going to get something that's completely unique and custom and bespoke to them. Yeah. And, and I love important. that, you yeah, know, because it is, it is custom boats are for custom people, yeah. you know? So yep. I think it's, incredible and even though it says your name on the boat it's theirs it's theirs yeah, yeah i mean and we're they, building it for them but yeah. that's their boat so well yeah i think that's a great philosophy man so thank you for the time buddy it's yeah, always thanks for coming a pleasure talking to you and we'll hopefully get to do this again soon so thank yeah, you guys so thanks everybody for listening check out hook optics um you guys are interested in some glasses so thank you guys bye bye